Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Hi, everybody. My name is Tom. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Um, Most grateful to be at this meeting. Um, if you could, uh, we're going to do a little short prayer. Um, it's a version of what we call the set aside prayer. Uh, it helps me to get in the right frame of mind. Um, and God knows I need to be in the right frame of mind. Uh, and it goes like this, God, let me set aside everything I think I know about you, essay myself and my disease for an open mind and a new experience. Let me be honest and thorough for an open mind and a new experience. Let me be honest and thorough. Amen and amen. Um, again, my name is Tom. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Uh, and joining me today is Gary W. Uh, we are from the Southwest region. Uh, I'm actually in the Palm Springs area. If you've ever heard of that, it's in the California desert. Gary is up in the Los Angeles area. And I'm really grateful that he's, uh, he's here with me. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about sobriety versus recovery. Uh, and, of course, sober is not well. Um, Gary, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I just would say that my name is Gary, and I'm a sexaholic. And it's good to be here. Thanks, Gary. Um, Again, I'm going to do just a couple of readings that I wanted to share. Um, You know, I'm not here to read to anybody. You can do that on your own. But I do want to share my experience, strength, and hope in this. And and you'll probably get the gist of what we're going to discuss when I share the readings. The first one comes from the White Book. In the section called, Of All Things, Sober is Not Well. And on page 131, it says, It is possible that, once relieved of the compulsion to act out our habit, we may feel cured and start coasting along with our tank gone empty. But the same personality defects that energized our addiction are still with us and, unattended, will take their toll again sooner or later. Why are they still with us? Because they are us. Progressive victory over these defects, not their eradication, is the power of God at work in us. What we really do battle against is not other people, but our old natures, the negative force within us. We can obey any time we wish, the force that is always willing and able to wrong another. This is why our program must come to fruition in our daily living, or there is no recovery. A few more lines here uh, going on. Continued, the simple wisdom of that one word, the essence of this step, which was step 10, and this program is a continuing process. 
These spiritual principles are a way of sound living, not merely some one-time technique for kicking a habit. We replace the addictive process with a process of recovery and growth. And lastly, daily living is the arena in which this program finds its true metal tested. Bill W. called this a design for living. Um, this reading will be a little bit shorter. It does come from the big book. And basically, very simply, on page 28, in uh, there is a solution. We, in turn, sought the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. What seemed at first a flimsy reed has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. A new life has been given us, or, if you prefer, a design for living that really works. So for me, what is this design for living? Well, really simply, it's steps, traditions, and concepts of service. Just last week, I was in a meeting, and one of our newcomers, I mentioned the difference between sobriety and recovery, and he, during his share, he said he never knew there was a difference. Um, you know, I can remember when I first came into this program thinking, well, you know, I just wanted you to sign my card. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was one of those court card people. Um, and let me get out of here because I'm definitely not a sexaholic. Um, you know, little did I know and little did anybody else know that not only was I a sexaholic, but I had been a sexual uh, sexaholic since I was a young lad. Um, and so I didn't know the difference between recovery or sober. Yeah, I could get sober. But for me, over the years, what's happened is that sobriety was just a way to get, my, get that compulsion removed. Recovery is the daily living um, of the steps, traditions, and concepts of service. Basically, those are the three legacies of our program. Um, steps for uh, uh, sobriety. Traditions for recovery, of course. Um, Bill W. considered all three of those just as important as uh, the other. Uh, we talk a lot about steps um, when we come into the program because, of course, the best we can do is, you know, just keep our hands up ourselves and most everybody else and just, you know, somehow get through and white knuckle or whatever it may be. Uh, and then one day somebody mentioned to me traditions. Well, what are those? And so I started learning traditions. One of our uh, members uh, talks about uh, the steps being so that we don't commit suicide. And then he also says that traditions are so we don't commit homicide. Um, and those are how I learned how to get along in, in program. Uh, and then, of course, concepts of service. And for me, concepts of service have been amazing. Um, again, in the big book, it talks about our real purpose. I'd like to paraphrase, paraphrase this a little bit. After all is said and done, everything, then the quote says, our real purpose is to, become, is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. And the only way I can do that is by staying in recovery on a daily basis. Um, you know, if all you want out of this program is sobriety, that's probably all you're going to get. But there's so much more. Uh, that is this design for living. Um, what else can I share uh, right quickly before I uh, move on? Um, the part that I read about daily living. I don't work steps. 
once a week. I don't work steps, you know, a couple of times a month. I work steps every day. I have a daily routine where I have to work steps one, two, and three. I have to work traditions every single day. Um, I have to work the concepts of service. My wife and I have tried to even work the concepts in our marriage along with traditions and steps. By golly, you can actually do that. <laughs> um, it's been an interesting uh, interesting journey. I am blessed to have a partner who is also in recovery. Um, and uh, and we can do that. Um, I think the main thing I wanted to share today is to challenge your thinking a little bit, to think a little bit bigger, to think a little bit beyond just sobriety, to think more about uh, daily living, about this design for living that Bill W. talked about. He also mentioned that if we follow this design for a living, we will be rocketed to the fourth dimension of existence. And, of course, a lot of people have different things to share about that. Um, I live a life today that I never thought was possible, um, only only based on the 24-hour period that I have, uh, this daily living uh, that, that I'm talking about. With that, I think I'll take a break and ask Gary if he would like to uh, share a little bit. Gary? Sure. Do I just start talking and it'll happen? Yeah, they're listening to you. Okay. My name, my name is Gary and I am a sexaholic. My sobriety date is September 18th, uh, 1993. And I have a sponsor. His name is Matt. And I have a home group. And it's the Pasadena, California meeting on Sunday night. I think one of the most important things you should know about me is that I'm a hopeless sexaholic. Uh, I had no hope and no one around me had any hope that I would ever be sober, but I am today. But beyond that, I, I live my life differently. Um, I, at the end of my acting out history, I was unemployable, had no relationships with any member of my family. I, w- I was just busted up. And today, um, I just talked to one of my sisters on the phone, and we have a good relationship. I have to constantly make amends to her, but um, we have a good relationship. Yesterday, when I came to work, when I walked from my car to the building where I work, I said the third step prayer or a close proximity to it. What I didn't know was going to happen yesterday was that I'd received some bad news. And uh, my initial response probably was a poor response. But, you know, today I met with some friends this morning, very early this morning, and I realized that I meant it when I said the third step and that it's okay. Whatever happens is going to be okay. And that's, that's a big difference between the way I used to live my life and the way I do now. Of course, I couldn't do that if I wasn't sober, but I couldn't do it if I hadn't done the work of recovery. And, uh, you know, I, I have other stories like that. I, I could talk for hours about the difference between just being sober and having a changed life. If, if my life hasn't changed, what, what good is sobriety? I couldn't stay sober if if something hadn't changed, because as a friend of mine put it, 
there's a man that climbs in my bedroom window every night and he has a great big key. It's just like the key that you would use to wind a clock. And he puts it somewhere in me and he tightens it, that, that mainspring in my, in my gut and makes my, the tension grow inside my whatever it is. And at some point, it's going gonna, it's gonna to spring and the result will be a disaster. And I'll go back to being the old Gary I was before. Like Tom said, I have to do something every day to relieve that tension to uh, make a connection with God that's, that's authentic and not make-believe. Um, I have to make sure that my relationships uh, with friends, with people in the program, with people at work, are on the new basis, the new footing. And that's um, being able to love people without expecting anything in return and, and trusting my higher power to order my life the way he wants to. I, I could not do that when I was not sore. It was, my life was a disaster. And trust me, you wouldn't want to be around me uh, during that time. So I'm going to turn it back to Tom. And Tom, it's yours. All Thanks, Gary. Um, so uh, we will get to some questions here in just a little bit. I want to share a little bit um, about what this looks like for me. I'm a real big how-to. It's one thing to say, you know what, you need to be sober. But it's another thing to tell you how I do it. <laughs> um, you know, so let me share with you what this looks like for me. Um, and if, you, if anybody gets something out of it, great. Um, Gary mentioned his sobriety date, and I missed that. And I think it's really important that people share that because there's a lot of hope in this program. Um, I don't have quite as much uh, time in the program as Gary. I'm a couple of years behind him. My sobriety date is 5-15 of 1996. For that, I am never sufficiently grateful. Um, so this is what it looks like for me, uh, for meetings. Um, again, when I first came in the program, we did not have a meeting every day in my area. Uh, but I did hit every meeting that we had. I'd still continue to do three to four meetings a week because that's what I need to do. Um, you know, there are times when something may come up in life uh, where I miss one. Believe me, I feel it because that's where the magic happens is in meetings. You know, that's where I get to share the stuff that I never wanted to share. I never wanted to tell my rabbi, my priest, my psychic, my dog, uh, anybody. I was going to take it to the grave. And so there I get to practice honesty and people know me. Um, and so I do that continually. I try to get to meetings when I'm traveling. I love going to other meetings, um, seeing how they do it. Uh, you know, and I feel like I'm at home with almost every single one. I mentioned what I do in the morning. What I do in the morning is I do my first three steps, reminding myself that I am still uh, a sexaholic, that I'm powerless over lust, and that my life continues to be uh, unmanageable. I do my second step, of course, reminding myself that I am as insane as I ever was. Um, and then I uh, turn my will and my life over to the care of God just for the next 24 hours. Uh, I do my 10th uh, step review uh, of the previous day. I used to struggle with that um, because the instructions, of course, say you when we <laughs> do it at night. Uh, at least I thought that's what the instructions said. 
And my sponsor said, well, why don't you do it in the morning? I said, I can do that? He goes, yeah, of course you can. Trying to learn a principle. And so I do it in the morning. I'm not a night person. I go to bed at night. Um, I do my step 11 where I spend some time in meditation. Very little time in prayer. It used to be a lot more prayer and little little bit of meditation. But now it's a lot less prayer and more meditation. Trying to hear from God because that's that's the only hope I got is if I will connect with my higher power uh, just for, again, for the next 24 hours. And then on my way to work, I start my 12-step work. I start calling people. Now, I get a lot of phone calls. I sponsor not a whole lot of people, but a, uh, a few. And so I don't count those as calls. You know, if somebody calls me, it doesn't count. It's the calls that I need to make. Um, and so I start immediately in the morning trying to connect with other sexaholics. Um, on the bigger scale, I talked a lot about service and the concepts. I do a lot of service. Um, you know, I, I've worked through the uh, many different service positions in the service structure. Uh, I am currently the uh, GDA cat herder. And if you don't know what a cat herder is, well, I've learned that as chair of the GDA, if I can just herd the cats, they all do their job. And it makes it very simple for me. Um, but we all know what it's like to herd cats. Uh, it's been in service where I've had a chance to practice the concepts. Um and learn the concepts from, from others. Um, I would highly recommend to anybody to get into service. Start at your meeting, if, even if it means greeting somebody, and that's your service position. I'm the greeter. Um, whatever it is, make coffee. Even if you don't make a good cup of coffee, they'll let you know. <laughs> uh, things like that. But getting into service. Um you know, I stay involved in my inner group. I, I'm not an inner group officer. I haven't been one for a long time, but I go to inner group every month and stay a, a part of that. One of the things in the uh, 18 wheeler section that I like, Roy writes, um, we participate in the program. And that's what participating in the program means to me. When people ask me to sponsor them, I usually share a little bit about what I do and then I ask them, well, you, you still want me to sponsor you? And, oh, no, I can't do all that. Well, you know, this is what I do. And uh, this is what pays off for me. Um, let me check the questions here. Um, okay. Carrie, I'm going to let you answer a question here. Um, all righty. So, Gary, what helped you to get from living sober to living in recovery? It's a combination of the literature, you know, reading the books, reading them over and over again, reading them in meetings, reading them at home, reading them one-on-one -on -one with other people. Um, it's the example of other people in the program and uh, the badgering that comes from people who were more, uh, who were ahead of me in working the steps. And then, of course, it's the work with my sponsor. Um, but I, I leaned on a lot of people, people in other programs, people um, in this program. And, and I spent a lot of time with them, asking them, basically, how, how do I live life? I have this situation at work. I have this medical condition. I have uh, you know, this problem with... Uh, for instance, my father, what do I do? 
And even when I wasn't looking for a solution, I would hear it um, in conversations or someone shared something in a meeting or a speaker said something. Uh, I certainly didn't generate this myself. I, I, I got it through being very, very close to the center of the group and by listening and by being honest about what I was experiencing in life. And there was never a shortage of, of people to teach me um, how to live my life. Did I answer the question? <laughs> well, of course you did. You did okay. answer the question. Thank okay. you. Uh, you do have a chance to ask questions. If anybody has questions, we'll get to those questions as we go. Um, that was the only one we have so far. So I wanted to read one more item here. Uh, I have a button on my uh, book bag, my all my recovery books. It says sine qua non. And uh, one of our trustees handed those out at a convention oh, a few years back. And so you might have seen people wearing those at some of these conventions. So, you know, what does that mean? Well, it's from page 193 of the white book. Um, and basically what it says um, is, oh, I lost my place. Oh, there it is. Okay. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But it says sobriety and victory over lust are the basis for our unity and common welfare, which must come first. Our sobriety is the sine qua non, the necessary basis of our recovery and fellowship. Without experiencing it, we have nothing. And then our founder goes on to talk about without sobriety, there is no recovery, but without recovery, there's no lasting sobriety. And that's been true in my life. I am probably, uh, I am very blessed to have been sober since the day I got here. That doesn't mean that I, I tell you what it means. It means that I sunk to some really low bottom line behaviors it means that once faced with my addiction, I had no choice but to admit total powerlessness and the guilt and the shame that we've all, many of us have experienced uh, was definitely there. And so I knew right away that I had no other options. I believe everybody has to come to that place. And whether it happens right away or, or it happens uh, two, three years down the line of, of trying to stay sober, it doesn't matter. What really matters is that we all have to get to a place of realizing that we don't have any other options, that the back door is finally closed and there's no getting out of here. My very life depends on this. I live a life, as I shared earlier, that I never thought I'd ever live. Um, I've learned a little bit about intimacy from, of all people, sexaholics and a few S&Ns along the way. Um, but I think I'm getting an idea of what it means, uh, and I'm very blessed for that. Um, you know, the question that was that Gary talked about, about moving from sobriety to recovery, um, you know, it was for me, I, I've been blessed with good sponsors, and they pretty much guided me through that. You know, the steps, I didn't have to wait to finish the steps before I got into uh, studying traditions and concepts. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but of course, all of these principles are things to be learned 
and then you can actually use them on a daily basis. Um, I liked uh, when AJ was sharing sharing previously. One of the questions was uh, about uh, what happens when you get done with step twelve, and uh, he was talking about sponsorship. And of course, there is no certificate of graduation. You've now made it to step twelve. I always tell people, "Oh, you've got to step twelve. Now you can start the program," uh, because the program is what I'm talking about. What Gary's talking about this daily living. Um, you know, and without realizing each day that I have no other options, you know, I don't know what I could do. Um, I must share with you that I'm not lust-free. Um, one of the last times that uh, that our founder spoke, uh, it was uh, after his first uh, surgery and before he got sick again. He shared that our intergroup uh, came down uh, we're about a hundred miles from where, where he was living and he drove down and he was sharing and he shared, uh, just what I said. He goes, you know, I'm not lust free. And I thought, Oh, great. The founder, 30 some years of sobriety and recovery and he's not lust free. But then he said, but today I am free not to lust. And I knew what he was talking about, you know, and because of this design for a living, I'm free not to lust. And that's a miracle. I have all these wonderful tools that have been given to me that, uh, that I get to use so that, uh, yeah, I still get triggered. Most definitely. Lust hits still happen for me. But what's different is the compulsion to follow those, those triggers is, is gone. And that's for today. Again, I did all that stuff I talked about this morning. And, you know, if I'm fortunate, I'll go to bed sober tonight. I'll go to bed still practicing recovery, um, but I also know that I'm a sexaholic, and nothing's going to change that. And this is this is this is what I have to do each day. Um, I also know that, as I read earlier, if I start coasting, my tank will go on empty, and I'm not even going to know it. That's why I continue to do three to four meetings a week. That's why I continue to read the literature. Um, you know, and I'd like to share this, what Gary shared about literature, why we, why I read the literature. The very first time I put a quote from step 11 into, into, uh, base or into practice, I'll share with it. Uh, in California, everybody has a car. <laughs> uh, we don't have very much public tra- uh, transportation. And so there's a lot of vehicles on the road. And of course, um, my addict likes to think that I am, uh, you know, uh, the world's gift to driving. Can I, can I come back to you later? And the first time that I, um, the first time that I uh, use this quote is from step 11 that basically says, when agitated or doubtful, we pause asking for the next right thought or, or action. That's not an exact quote. But, you know, I'm driving along. And getting rather agitated. I love that word agitated because it just covers everything. Um, and that quote came into my head. And by golly, I found a parking lot. I pulled over. I did a quick step 10 uh, uh, review of what was really going on. Spent three or five minutes in meditation. Got back on the road. And by golly, everybody was driving fantastically. I don't know how that happened. Um, but that's why I read the literature, so I can be reminded um, 
of all of these little things that that help me live in recovery on a daily basis. Um, let's see. I'm going to go look here at the... Uh, Here's one, Gary, if you could answer this one, and we'll go from there. What advice can you give to those who are sober, say six months, but struggle to work the steps? Well, there's a real simple answer to that. Just go back out and act out, and you'll come back with the conviction to do do the program. I, I tell people we don't persuade people to work the program here that that happens outside when when i'm getting beat up by lust and then i'll come in and i'll be serious but i can't give that seriousness or conviction to another member if he doesn't have it then i can't give it to him um you know i was 42 years old i had destroyed everything in my life everything i'd even destroyed my health and, uh, you know, I was ready to do something. I was ready to take action. Um, one of the things you can do is, is just observe people um, who are experiencing the effects of lust. And, and if that doesn't motivate you, maybe nothing will. <laughs> but uh, it has to come from within. I have to be convinced in my innermost self, that I am a sexaholic and that I need the program and that I want it. Um, But one of the motivators for me was that life was so unsatisfactory. It's unfulfilling. Um, A couple of the hallmarks of that change are the the self-centeredness and fear that just dogged me when I was acting out. And today I have tools you know, the third step tells me that I'm, I need to pray and ask God to remove uh, my self-centeredness. And, and later on, I'm told to ask God to remove my fear. And I could tell a hundred stories about, you know, situations where I had to pray those prayers. And, and I don't know if anyone would say this, but I hope that I'm living differently in terms of rather than being self-centered, I can love without strings attached. And rather than living in a fearful life, I'm living a, um, a life of trust where I can trust God for my life and the circumstances that I'm in. You know, the, the, there's a couple of circumstances that I'm in right now that uh, frankly, should scare the daylights out of me, but there's nothing I can do about them. And God knew about them a long time ago. He isn't surprised by them. And uh, I just need to play the role that he assigns and trust him. Um, So another motivation is to see that the dynamic changes in people's lives. That's inspired me to work the steps. When I see these People changed, broken sexaholics changed um, in remarkable ways. I want to be like that. So that's it, Tom. <laughs> All righty. Thanks, Gary. Um, 
Here's one from Nils. Uh, thanks, Nils. Uh, he says, can you be confident that as long as you keep doing what you're doing, you will never act out again? I have a fear of acting out again. Um, my first answer as I read that, Gary was talking, I looked at the question. I said, well, I think that goes a little bit past my 24-hour living. Um, you know, and so I can't look into the future. And believe me, this has been hard for me because I'm a man who lives in the future. You know, some people live in the past. Uh, some people can live in the here and now. Um, and I don't know how they do it, but I'm learning. And some people live in the future. And that was me. Um, you know, the next event. Um, you know, will this work forever? Uh, on and on and on. I know this. This is what I know. I know that this program has been working for me so far. And my experience has been that if I will focus on recovery, steps, traditions, and concepts of service, sobriety will pretty much take care of itself. You know, when I have to concentrate on sobriety, well, you've heard this before. How did you get sober? Well, I stopped trying to get sober. Um, when I'm in charge of my sobriety, th things just don't go right. <laughs> um, you know, when, I, when I'm in charge of my recovery, and this is what I mean by being in charge, all I bring is honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And that's it. That's all I can do. And then God does the rest. Um, you know, I, it's been working. You know, am I confident that it will work forever? I, I can't think like that. I would love to, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid that if I do... I'm going to be one of those that gets really lazy. Well, if I just do this certain formula, it's not a formula for me. It is a daily life of what I do. This is just what works. Um, you know, and so I don't ever, I've never asked myself that question. Gee, will I ever act out again? I'm worried about just today. What do I need to do today? so that I don't act out today. And then tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to do the exact same thing. You know, I have to, because as I said earlier, I don't have any options. You know, I've hurt a lot of people with my disease and I don't want to hurt people again. I've hurt family members. Um, you know, when I share my story, I always say, you know, I've tried to pretty up my story, but I can't. This is sexaholism. It's not a pretty disease. Um, and I know, I know that I know that left to my own devices, I will act out again. I can't, I can't afford to do that. I am most grateful for the people who have slipped and come back in here and shared their story. And their stories are always the same. I stopped working the program. That's what it boils down to. One guy... 13 years that I'm thinking of. Uh, he used to uh, um, be really active with essay publications. We're going back many years. And his story was, I thought I had it dialed. I thought I had it all figured out. And now he's doing 25 to life, and I don't think we'll ever see him again. Another gentleman that I'm thinking of was a delegate for our region here, had lots of years of sobriety. And he stopped working the program. And that's what he told us. He just stopped working the program. He figured, ah, I'm in service. I'm a delegate. And it took him 
about five years to get back in this program. He did get 30 days, 60 days, go back out, 90 days, go back out. Unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago, but he died sober and he died in recovery because he finally got back in here. You know, um, to quote one member, I, I love the quote because I feel the same way. I'm afraid to go back out because I'm afraid I'll never come back in. That's how that's how desperate I am today to stay in recovery. Um, let me see uh, another question here. Uh, I really appreciate all the questions that are coming in. Um, I'm going to let you do this one, Gary. This is from Mike F. in Rochester. Hi, Mike. Um, he wants to know how his service worked in your recovery. Uh, Gary? Well, Mike, I need to tell you that I just planted my first day lily, and it's thriving, and uh, it probably is not as beautiful as yours are, but I have my first one. Um, Tom, can you read the question again, please? Just I, I can. Um, how has service worked in your recovery? I don't uh, seek out service positions. In fact, um, I, I've been approached several times for different kinds of service and then later on been rejected for service. Uh, I, I think that the initial call to service is to walk across the room and hold out my hand to a newcomer or maybe someone who's having a rough time. That's the foundation of service. But from there it grows to being willing to um, help organize a meeting, to help with the treasury, to uh, I've, I've been involved in literature a little bit lately, um, shuttling books around, I just, uh, I, I have that, that disease that's described so clearly in the big book in step three that I want to arrange everything. And service has taught me to keep my mouth shut, to trust the group conscience, to believe that, that God's at work in the meeting, that the group conscience reflects his will, and uh, to accept uh, everyone that's sitting in the circle, everyone that's at the meeting, everyone has a role, everyone plays a part. And my part is to do what I am called on to do for that period of time. And then I step down and the next guy does it. Uh, I Service is not a way for me to build an empire or a... Um, a following. It's just a very brief time where I step in and take on a role for just one round of service. You know, it's, I, I have to bite my tongue sometimes in, in service situations because I think I've got the answer. I think I know how it should be done and everybody here needs to hear what I have to say. And it's forced me to listen. It's forced me to try to understand other people. And uh, I think that's it. 
Thanks, Karen. Um, let me add a little bit. I think for me, service is like getting in the trenches, um, getting in the sandbox and playing with the other kids or whatever uh, you, thing you'd like to say. Um, you know, I've been involved in, in the service structure for quite a while. Um, for me, it this is where as I mentioned a little earlier, this is where I get to practice the program. Remember, step 12 says the very last instruction we're given from the steps is to practice these principles in all of our affairs. And so getting into the trenches or the sandbox and talking to these people and working with these people uh, has been amazing for me because I got to practice um, these principles. I always like to use the analogy of, of, musicians you never walk up to a musical instrument and begin to play like you've been doing it for all your life um well the same thing you learn these steps i learned the the traditions i learned um the the concepts and i'm still learning all of those but i have to practice those and so service was that avenue that has helped me learn those things so what happens is that now when I'm out of program, not actually out of the program, but I'm, you know, I'm at work, I'm at home. They always say, you know, home is the hardest place to work your program. Yeah, probably. Um, but because I practice this, I start using these same principles in those situations. Um, you know, I, I agree with what Gary said. Um, it's taught me to be humble more than anything. And I pray for humility a lot. And, you know, people have said, be careful what you pray for. You just might get it. Uh, I hope that I have, because that's really how I feel. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the principles about being able to give and not expect anything in return. And then you end up getting all this stuff in return that you never planned on, you know, and that's what I've gotten. You know, um, I want to comment on one of the questions. Well, it wasn't a question, just a comment from uh, Jason in San Diego. Hi, Jason. I have to agree, uh, getting back to that question uh, about, you know, am I sure I'll never act out? Well, it was, it's my intention that I will never act out again. And because of that intention, that's why I do what I do. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a life that I've, I never, never thought I'd ever have. Uh, let me get to another question here. Um, if I can, uh, Gary, I'm going to let you go first if you would. Uh, and if not, you can pass it back. Uh, Mark in, in PA, Pennsylvania, I'm sponsoring a man who is a therapist by profession. Should I suggest he leave this work temporarily to allow him to get into sobriety and recovery? He struggles with thinking he can be his own therapist. Gary, you want to touch that? Well, um, I would love the opportunity to tell people what to do and see them do what I suggest. But uh, that's a terrible trap for me. Um, I, I don't tell people what to do. I I suggested to someone I sponsored for probably 10 years that he um, do a different kind of a job. 
and and he wouldn't he wouldn't do it. And in in the course of that ten years, he um, he, he just created a lot of wreckage in his life and other lives. Um, and then <laughs> you'd never believe it. Today he found his way to do what I suggested, and he's never been happier. And he may leave it when his recovery uh, gains a little momentum, but that's what he's doing now. And, and I was convinced that he should have done it 10 years ago. Um, if, if I were you, I would not suggest that he change his job, but you could pray for him, pray that he would find a way to um, not be his own therapist. Maybe he doesn't have to leave his profession but uh, I would encourage you to pray for him rather than try to direct his life. But I know a lot of sponsors who tell people exactly what to do every day, and uh, it seems to work out for them. So that's it. <clears throat> Thanks, Gary. I think I was going to add, I'm not a therapist, but I always think that I can be my own therapist. <laughs> um, Probably not a good idea. I'll leave that to handle uh, for other people to handle, not me. Uh, you know, and I would agree. I, I can only share by example. That's really all that I have. Um, you know, I do have an opinion. Of course, everybody's got one of those. But the only thing that speaks life is my experience, strength, and hope. Um, I went to a convention once where the, the main speaker did a history of, of AA. And, uh, you know, I just I missed the life. You know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people enjoyed that. But for me, I, I never heard any life. And so that's where life comes from is when I share my experience, strength and hope uh, with somebody. Um, that's why I'm not doing a lot of reading today for, for everybody. Uh, here's a question from Ron in Milan, Italy. Hi, Ron. Um, he says there is no face to face SA meetings. He did hear of a SLAA meeting, but fear of more lustful women there. Uh, because of the love addiction. Should I continue online meetings? Uh, I miss face-to-face for this addiction. Uh, And I have English-speaking AA meeting. Um, You know, for me, uh, I'm not familiar with other programs. Um, My first program was SA, and I've never been to another uh, sex addiction recovery program. So I don't have a lot of experience with the other programs. What I do know is that SA offers a lot of different types of meetings. There's an email meeting that you can get involved in. There are um, uh, WhatsApp meetings that go on. There are phone meetings that go on. And yeah, face-to-face meetings, I tell you, I've gotten, especially with the technology, we're using it today. I, I sponsor long-distance sponsees that are away from me. And we I always tell them, you got to have Skype or Zoom or something, because I want to see your smiling face. But more than that, I want you to see mine. Um, you know, and so there are definitely different ways to connect. Um, I think there are some, I'm not sure of this one, but I think there are some group online meetings that are using um, uh, video as well as audio. Um, So I would suggest that you get involved in as many of those as you can. Go to those AA meetings, the open AA meetings, because, uh, you know, that you would be welcome there. Um, 
and that's kind of that's all I can probably share on that one. Um, let's see. Here's one from Harvey. Uh, I used to believe that intentions are enough. For me, it has to be a decision. Are intentions really enough? You know, I think the world was built on great intentions. <laughs> um, not for me. It has to be a conscious decision. I have to decide daily that I'm going to do what it takes to, uh, to stay sober and to stay in recovery um, and to practice all these principles. Um, you know, I, am, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. Yeah, I fail many times, you know, and well, I intended to do that, and I just didn't quite do it. But, you know, to the best of my ability, I have to do what it takes um, to, stay, to stay in recovery. Um, you want to add anything to that, Gary? I, I just need to, to be taking action. Um, there may be deferred action. There may be intentions to do things. There may be um, decisions to do. I just need to be taking action. That's, you know, I, I agree with uh, Harvey that, you know, in, intentions can lead me to postpone things or to defer uh, action. I just, I have to act. I have to pick up the phone. I have to get out of the house. I have to go to a meeting. I have to read the book. I have to pray. I, I have to take an action. And, uh, that, that's it. Hmm. All right. Thanks, Gary. I like this one from, uh, I'm probably going to assassinate the name, uh, Jurgen. Um, he says, after working step four, I shared my character defect with my sponsor. And for the first time, I really felt relief, especially from my fears. God told me, you don't need to feel afraid at all because I am with you all the time. The question is, how can I keep this wonderful feeling of relief and of being loved as I am? Um, and it is a great question. Uh, sometimes you'll hear people refer to the pink cloud. Um, I usually feel that way after a convention, you know, I'm really charged up and, and all that. Um, or I go to a, a retreat and, uh, we do a retreat in Southern California here in the U S, um, every year. And it's very intensive for the whole weekend on steps. Uh, and we do uh, a lot of workshops and, uh, and I love it. Um, and, uh, but I, I have to go back to a vision for you where it says, talks about trudging the road of happy destiny. Um, and I got to remember that feelings are feelings. There's no good feelings. There's no bad feelings. They're just feelings. And some of them feel good. Some of them feel bad. Um, they are what they are. When I think of trudging, I think of, you know, one foot in front of the other, looking down at your feet. And sometimes that's what it, it's all about. Um, again, am I willing to trudge this road of happy destiny? Yeah, I am. Um, you know, I don't look for the feeling. Um, here's a new slogan. I'm going to, this slogan is going to be um, right up there with take it easy and one day at a time. It's called shut up and do it. This is what I tell my sponsees, and my sponsor tells me the same thing. In other words, um, I am given instructions. I may not like the instruction. In fact, I'll pick on myself. I don't like to journal. Some people love to journal. I'm not one of those people. So when my sponsor says, I want you to write on something, 
I hem and I haw, and I'm not real happy with it, but I'm willing to trudge the road of happy destiny. And this is the deal. When I get done writing and journaling uh, and, and putting pen to paper, I feel wonderful. God has blessed me immensely. I still hate journaling, but if I would just do the instruction, not worry about the feelings, um, again, I am given something that I didn't expect, and sometimes it's a, a real good feeling. Um, you know, that's probably the best way I could answer that one. Um, all righty, I'm going to send this one to you, Carrie. How are we on time? We're doing well. Uh, this one says, "What is this is from Ralph S., what is your greatest tool that you use to direct your day towards recovery? Gosh. I, I can only share recent experience, and that is yesterday praying the third step prayer with – it was just a routine. I just – I was walking – from the car to the building and I was prompted to pray the third step prayer again because I'd already had a quiet time, a, a time of meditation in the morning, but I did it. I did the third step again and uh, I needed that. And, and, and I was hit pretty hard yesterday uh, in some situations here at work. And, and, you know, last night and today, especially early this morning, I realized that this is in God's hands. So, you know, when, when people tell me that they love me, when, uh, when I go to a meeting and I, I, I get refreshed or have some renewed vigor in my program, it's all as a result of, of God in my life. And I think that in the big book, they, I believe it's on page 29 where they explain that the reason they're telling their stories is, is to show how they establish their relationship with God. And so the greatest tool is whatever tool you need at that moment to establish and cause to grow, grow your relationship with God. It may sound like a cop out, but there. Everything that we do in this program, every action that we take, whether it's directed at another person, it's a, an individual thing done in solitude, it's always to cause our relationship with God to grow. And those are the tools that have helped me the most. Thanks, Gary. Um, you know, the first thing that came to mind with that question was, uh, you know, what's my greatest tour tool? It's the literature. Um, our, we have we have been blessed with lots of great literature, uh, everything from AA uh, to all the things that SA has to offer. Um, that's my greatest tool. I stay in the literature um, so I can study, but not just that, so I can remind, be reminded, hence my story earlier, of the things that will help take care of the real problem, which is me. Remember, sex was not a problem for most sexaholics. The problem was me. Um, I love the interaction. So Buddy in, uh, I think it's Buddy in, in Pennsylvania. Hey, Buddy. He had something for Ron in Milan. 
He says, if there are no face-to-face meetings near you, consider starting one. Great answer. Uh, he says, see page 173. Or another thing is, there's a, a wonderful, fairly new pamphlet that SA has called Find Your Dr. Bob. Uh, it helps you learn about starting your own meeting. Um, you know, if you're desperate enough to be in an SA meeting, start one. And for many of us that have started meetings, they usually start off with one, maybe two, uh, and then they grow from there. So consider starting a, uh, a meeting. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm going to probably be able to get another one in here. Um, no, I don't have another one. We're done. Um, unless somebody has another question. Um, we've got a few more minutes here before uh, it's time for us to wrap things up. Um, I'll go first, uh, if you wish, Gary. Think of some parting thoughts you may have um, yeah, before we move on to our uh, next set of speakers. Um, I think what I would share uh, as kind of my parting thoughts is that don't be satisfied with just sobriety. Um, you know, be grateful for sobriety, most definitely. Um, but there's there's just a whole lot more. Uh, I'm still learning. I've been doing this for 22 years. Um, and sometimes I feel like I've just scratched the surface because there's just so much more. And a lot of that has to do with the changes that happen in me. Those diseased attitudes that I once had, well, I still have them. They're there. They're, they're me. Um, but they're not running the show anymore. Uh, the compulsion, of course, to, to act on my lust triggers uh, has been lifted uh, today. Uh, but it's early. Things could change. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's only 2 o'clock in the afternoon here on the West Coast of the United States. So uh, I've got a whole long, uh, long uh, afternoon ahead of me. Uh, but the point is, is that, as I said earlier and I read, I intentionally, I intend to stay sober today. That's that's what I need to do. And that's the whole motivation for why I do the things that I do, what I'm told to do, um, the steps, the traditions, and the concepts of service. Um, you know, they're the, they're, the, uh, they're the map. They're the map for me, uh, the map of recovery. Um, and they're what I need to do. Um, Gary, any last uh, thoughts yeah. there? Yeah, I would just say learn to trust the love of the people around you. And if no one's told you they love you today, I love you. That's it. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I love you too. 